What's interesting about AI is that it's finally turning the so-called fourth industrial revolution into the sort of shock to our system that the steam engine produced from the mid-18th century. A real challenge to the status quo at every level of society, not just the workplace. We'll be looking at various perspectives on this seismic shift from technologists and thinkers in several fields. In this show, we talk to Peter Voss, who believes a new form of AI will alleviate some of the end-of-days anxiety that many of us are currently having and create a better world. Hi, friends. Welcome to The Evolving Leader, the show built on the belief that we need better leadership to confront the world's biggest challenges. I'm Scott Allender. And I'm John Gomes. How are you feeling today, Mr. Gomes? I am feeling a mixture of things. Uh, the uh, personal life is going very well at the moment. We've got a number of uh, really good things happening in my family, so that, that's that's wonderful. Um, feeling quite challenged with the uh, the torrent of work that's happening at the moment, all good, but um, but it's quite demanding and doing a lot of traveling, which uh, adds into the mix. So, um, so yeah, generally feeling feeling uplifted. How are you feeling? Uplifted is a good word. I just returned from my daughter's uh, school performance this morning, so I'm feeling quite proud and uplifted and uh, a little emotional as the school year comes to a close and we start to step into a, yet another chapter in the growth of my kids and all of that. Um, and just feeling really grateful uh, for you and for Phil and for your whole team and for this show that we get to do every week and delighted and excited to be joined by our guest today because today we are joined by Peter Voss. At just 25 years old, Peter launched his first company, Electronic Designs, which within seven years IPO'd as a 400-person software hardware solutions company. After retiring from the company, Peter spent several years studying various subjects pertaining to advanced AI. These included cognitive psychology, psychometrics, epistemology, neural networks, and other aspects of computer science. And in 2002, he launched Adaptive AI Inc., a research and development company focused on developing AGI. And in 2008, he spun out Smart Action, a commercial company utilizing AI. A2I2's intelligence engine. And a few years back, he launched AGI Innovations, Inc., a 10-person technology development company dedicated to achieving further breakthroughs in deep natural language understanding, adaptive conversation management, and contextual reasoning. Peter often writes and presents on various philosophical topics, including rational ethics, free will, and artificial minds. And we are really excited to talk to you today, Peter. Peter, welcome to The Evolving Leader. Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, Peter, welcome to the show. How are you feeling today? Good, great. Yeah, all, all energized. So let, let's not make any assumptions. How did, how did you get into the artificial intelligence space? Well, it was really, um, you know, just sort of listening to the to the history, trip down memory lane, and um, yeah, it's when I when I exited the uh, the listed company that that I had formed, which is an ERP software company. Um, I had enough sort of time and money on my hands to say, okay, what what engaging thing do I want to work on next? And and the thing that struck me is that software is really quite dumb. You know, if the programmer didn't think of something, then it'll just give you an error message or crash or whatever. You know, software doesn't really have any common sense. And so how can we fix it? And, um, you know, it seemed like an incredibly interesting and challenging problem and, and very important one. Um, so it was really very natural for me to to transition from, you know, starting with hardware, software, and then intelligence, basically, how can we build in intelligent uh, systems? I, I also had a, a deep interest in philosophy and psychology. And, you know, these things sort of really come come together is how do we know anything? How can we be certain? Uh, why do we want things? You know, and what what makes cognition work? What makes uh, what makes humans special? Hmm. So 
before we get into all of this, um, I think it'd be helpful because, you know, artificial intelligence, AI, um, I think it, it's like other expressions in my experience around emotional intelligence or, um, you know, self-awareness where, where we, we say it so much that we sort of assume we're all talking about the same thing, but not necessarily. So um, can, can you give us some simple definitions that anyone can understand when we say AI, when you're, when you're talking about this? Yeah, absolutely. It's a very good question because uh, the term AI is all over the place. So um, the when the term was coined originally some 60-odd years ago, uh, it really referred to building machines that can think, learn, and reason the way humans do, basically to build thinking machines. Um, so the cognitive to have an artificial brain that has cognitive ability of a human, roughly, you know. Obviously, it'd be better at some things and maybe not quite as good at, at others. Now, actually, they thought originally they would crack this problem sort of within a few years. Well, it turned out to be much, much harder, of course. So what happened over the, the decades is the, the field of AI really changed from the original ideal to narrow AI. And there's actually a very profound difference there because that change also implied that the intelligence was no longer in the machine, but rather in the designer, in the engineer. And I'll give an example here. You know, one of the famous breakthroughs in AI was uh, IBM's uh, Deep Blue, the world chess champion in, I think, around about the 80s. Mm -hmm. And it was really the ingenuity, the intelligence of the programmers that solved the problem on how to use algorithms, how to use computers to build a piece of software that could play a good game of, ch uh, of, of chess. Now, that machine doesn't really have the intelligence in anywhere near the way that humans have. It can't even learn to play checkers. You know, mm. it can't do anything. It, it didn't really learn. It was programmed to do this. And, you know, fast forward now to um, uh, uh, AlphaGo, you know, the, the Go uh, world champ champion from DeepMind. Um, now here it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as much programming. I mean, there was still a lot of programming, but it was still the ingenuity of the data scientists and engineers of what algorithms can we put together and what massive amounts of training data can we collect and, and apply to this to build a system that can basically play a good game of Go. So, um, so really the, the field of AI changed from the original idea of thinking machines to narrow AI and external intelligence. So really very different. So um, in 2002, I actually coined the term artificial general intelligence together with two other people, Ben, ben Gerstel and Shane hmm. Legg. And that was exactly in a, in a, an effort to basically get back to the original ideal of AI, to build thinking machines, because we felt in 2002 that hardware and software development had progressed sufficiently that it was worth going back to that tackling that, that ideal. Now, there's still very, very few people working on AGI, you know, now 20-some 20, 20 years later, uh, for various reasons, and one of them is actually an accident of history. And uh, that accident is that deep learning, machine learning, big data approaches have been so incredibly successful in the last 10 years um, that they've sucked all of the oxygen out of the air. You know, that companies have made so much money with, uh, you know, image recognition and targeted advertising and all the various applications for deep learning um, that really nobody else is, you know, hardly anybody is working on the real problem uh, of, of building thinking machines. So there's this basically confusion. And today we have a whole generation of, of engineers and scientists that don't even know that AI could be anything other than deep learning, machine learning, or now chat GPT, which is just the next sort of evolution of statistical big data statistical systems. So when we look at these, um, these systems, you know, there's been wave after wave of, um, uh, expectation primarily in the media about what AI is going to do. Um, what, why? So we've seen all these waves uh, that are about to change the world. It seems that it's different this time. 
chat GPT seems different. Why is that? Why is it suddenly going to change the world for real this time? Well, uh, why it seems different is, I think the <clears throat> what took everybody by surprise is just how much better the system became by just scaling it up, by throwing more data at it. You know, with the innovation of Transformers, and that's the T in jet, uh, GPT, uh, it's an innovation that, that came, came out in 2015. Um, and people found that basically by just building bigger and bigger systems, we, we suddenly, with ChatGPT 3.5 and 4, ChatGPT, I GPT three and a half and, and four, um, the the system can create such excellent prose, um, so human like that it really took everybody by, by surprise. And we we look at this and say, "Wow, this 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 smells, this feels like real human intelligence." And um, now, a few months, we, we're now quite a few months into this where people, you know, start to try and use this uh, in serious applications. And some of it is starting to wear off now because people realize just, um, you know, sort of this, how skin deep that, mm. that intelligence, that veneer of intelligence really is. And um, so my, my own assessment is that these systems will not get us to AGI. They will not get us to human-level intelligence uh, for a, a number of, of technical reasons we could talk about. But they are extremely, extremely impressive and very, very useful. Um, so, yes, it is different. I mean, the whole, you know, uh, I, I, I gave a talk at one of the big universities recently, and um, higher education is, you know, is like freaked out. By this, you know, how are we going to deal with this? You know, if students can just get all their work done by ChatGPT and and next generations, it is profound. It really is profound. Um, the the change that it happened, but it's not not AGI. There's a lot of excitement. And there's also a lot of fear in the conversation. So maybe it's a good place to sort of talk about how how will AGI solve problems that need to be solved and then maybe what are the risks what do we should what should we not be using it for even when we can um you you're talking about uh sort of the current version of you know GPT well, i'm just sort of thinking or, the, or, or the, longer the term. picture you're yeah. well maybe we'll just start with the first part of the question mm -hmm. so the so in terms of how you think about using agi to solve some of the world's biggest challenges what what do you think the biggest opportunities are and then maybe after that we can turn to yeah are there any risks or concerns associated with this right well once once we get to uh, to agi imagine having on tap and very inexpensively millions billions of phd level researchers helping us solve all sorts of problems you know whether mm. it's the obvious ones are you know disease pollution climate change energy um you know i mean you name all the all the, the big problems that if we could solve them it would improve the lives of humanity tremendously mm -hmm. and um so you know imagine you you train up one agi for cancer research you make a million copies of it now suddenly you have a million cancer researchers chipping away 24 7 that can mm -hmm. communicate f flawlessly with each other don't have egos getting in the way perfect you know photographic memory access to the internet clearly we are going to make significantly faster progress in conquering you know disease um, mm -hmm. so and, and that's really across the board you know whether you're talking about uh, energy developments and nanotechnology and and so on um, I would also add to that governance we seem to be really really bad at running our societies I mean just look at the kind of leaders we end up with uh, you know are those the best people to be making decisions about you know how to, how to organize society and 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 so on. It seems extremely unlikely. Mm -hmm. So you know, I I just see and 
tremendous uh, positives from this and essentially radical abundance because it'll dramatically reduce the cost of goods and services. So with this kind of radical abundance, which people um, have been talking about in various forms when you've got quantum computing and uh, and, and AI at this scale, um, there's always a flip side to it because we had we, we were here in 1993, 4, 5 with the internet um, with every technology just enables human nature to do what it does for good or bad. Mm. So without being doom-mongering about this let's let's lean into what are the the kind of ethical moral challenges facing us with with this technology well of course we have disruption of society you know just change and um, you know some people are less comfortable with change than others to put it mildly Um, but then you know we look back and we say you know should we not should we not have invented electricity you know would society be better off without electricity? Would we be better off without the internet? Um, There may be some people who feel that the answer is yes, but I think most of us feel absolutely not. You know, would we like to dramatically reduce disease and poverty, you know? Um, But yes, it'll take, uh, there'll be disruption in society because clearly uh, some some jobs, a large number of jobs that made sense to have, that currently make sense to have humans do them, will not make sense to have humans do them in the future. Um, so, you know, that those, those will be the disruptions. It, it, it sort of, there's an analogy of when, you know, almost everybody you talk to might, might say, I'd love to win the lottery. You know, I mean, you hear this all, all the time. Now, you look at lottery winners, they're not all necessarily happy. And, you know, AGI will basically make everybody a lottery winner because of the abundance. But the the positive thing or the, the mitigating factor here is we will also have um, – we, we'll, we'll have very competent psychologists that will help us deal with this radical abundance because that's what AGIs will also be able to do. You know, it'll be like uh, everybody will have their own personal assistant that is also a good psychologist. And it's a bit like having an angel sitting on your shoulder permanently that you can, you know, will say, well, you know, maybe you should get out and do something, you know. You now have all, all these possibilities, you know, and what, whatever, whatever the case may be. So I think we will, we will also have that, uh, that help from our AIs to help us um, manage change. Tell me more about that because I never really even considered psychology and artificial intelligence and in any, I never, I've never correlated those things because it, to me, it feels like without the true, you know, sort of emotional human experience, how can people, you know, really counsel another person, right? So you need the education, the psychology, psychological knowledge, but you know, great therapists and great psychologists usually have a, a, a relatability. So how, how in your mind would, would AGI, you know, stand in the gap here for people? Well, psychology is a science as well, or it should yeah. be a science. It shouldn't be voodoo, you know. So, um, and as a good psychologist doesn't get emotionally engaged. So there's a difference between being emotionally engaged yourself, feeling the mm-hmm. emotion yourself, which a psychologist shouldn't shouldn't be, versus mm-hmm. being able to recognize different emotional states and being able to um, respond appropriately. Mm-hmm. Now, there was this experiment, the ELISA experiment, which you might have heard, I forget when it was, like 50 years ago, where an extremely simple chatbot, I mean, this we're talking like 50 years ago, uh, mm-hmm. was d- deployed as a psychologist and people didn't know it was a psychologist. They thought it was a psychologist and it would basically uh, be like Freudian. Well, how, did, how does it make you feel? I mean, often psychology is basically just um, an, an, an anchor to help you reflect yourself, mm-hmm. you know, your own thought process, to help you manage your own thought processes. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily that the psychologist um, should share their own experience or have to have their own experience. Um, 
in there. Now, a good psychologist will know what techniques are appropriate for what situation, but there's no reason why an AI wouldn't be able mm. to do that. In fact, mm. probably do it a lot better than most psychologists. Mm. I, I think there's also the old saying where, you know, 90% of um, the, the help of, of a psychologist when you start using a psychologist is picking up the phone and making that appointment. You know, it's that commitment mm. to say, hey, I, I want to change something in my life. Yeah. So the, the um you know the current investment that's being placed into uh, all technologies um is dependent on the the current ways in which the global economic system works when we unleash um this abundance it changes the some of the the basic assumptions of how um capitalism works what's your thoughts there in terms of um that disruption and you know, who's going to pay for all of this when, when we have abundance? How's that? How are people going to make money? How is it going to change the fabric of our society as a result? Um, I'll, I'll need my AI to help me think this through. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's, <clears throat> yeah, it's kind of, it's a nice problem to have, isn't it? Um, so probably there will be some kind of a u- universal basic income, I would imagine. Um, because there will be abundance and, you know, that will probably be funded by um, some kind of a tax on, on AI. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I only half-jokingly said that uh, I'll need an AI to help me think that through as well because we will have AIs to help us, you know, that's what I mentioned earlier, is uh, governance itself and, and how to organize society um, we need to throw more brain power at it. Say, you know, what are good solutions? Let's uh, let's think through this solution versus another solution. You know, and and so on. But uh, by default, I would think probably some kind of universal basic income, um, you know, uh, would would make sense. Again, the risk there is that that people will just you know become drug addicts or whatever, which is the downside of uh, we've we've you know seen a lot of that where these sort of experiments have been done, uh, there's, there's a risk of, of that. Again, we'll have the help of AI psychologists, AGI psychologists <laughs> to help Getting us. us through. Uh, yeah, because I was, I was wondering, you, you made the lottery analogy, you know, and a lot of what I've read about in terms of people not feeling happy is you know, they kind of lose a sense of purpose and mission, right? Mm-hmm. Because life almost becomes too easy and they kind of lose like, what am I? What am I meant to do? Are we at risk with you know getting to a level of AGI in every facet of our lives where people will struggle to find like what's my sort of human purpose here, other than sort of depending on this technology? Well, it'll it'll have to be reframed. But then you know if you if you have a job in a large company and you or you work in a call center or something, uh, should that really be the purpose of your life? You know, and to the extent that it is to people, maybe that's something that should be fixed. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. the, we, we, we do know a lot of people, their work is their identity, but kind of by default, you know, not because they're passionate about it. I mean, I'm excluding mm-hmm. people who are passionate about what they're doing, you know, whether it's artists or scientists or financial managers or, you know, CEOs. They're obviously people who... Um, who are passionate about what they're doing, but I'm talking about other people that are defined by their work but don't particularly enjoy enjoy what they're doing. So I think that can be improved. So let, let's turn to the, uh, the you know the question that has dogged people for a long time and is top of the agenda at the moment, was where AI starts to harm us um, because it it um, it wants to take control. What's your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, about how we prevent that existential crisis. Yeah, I think it's completely misguided. Um, I don't, you know, the thought that AI will want to take over the world, uh, I think people have seen too many movies, you know, or are um, 
projecting, you know, human motivations onto an AI that it simply will will not have. I mean, we, you know, my current company, Igo.ai, you know, we build systems, conversational AI, and the systems are built to, 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 to serve humans, to do a particular task or to do a wide range of tasks. That's what they're designed to do. And there's really no reason to believe that, you know, they would suddenly sort of get a mind of their own. And I think it's really people projecting, um, you know, human egos and our, mm. you know, sort of our reptile brain <laughs> Uh, driving certain, you know, certain, uh, driving our behaviors, you know, for reproduction. And uh, I mean, how much, how much of the behavior that humans have is driven by uh, reproductive drives and, you know, survival instinct mm -hmm. um, a, a lot. Uh, you're not going to have that in an AI. There's no reason to build that into an AI. It would get in the way of it doing a good job. Mm. That's really interesting. So let's let's turn to what our audience should be doing to prepare for the AI revolution. First, as a leader, you know what what should people be doing to upskill themselves? What what should they? What is there something they should be thinking about and doing differently now? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think everybody should be familiar with the current tools. You know. Uh, which is basically ChatGPT is pretty much cutting edge. Obviously, a number of variations um, that are that are out there, and they quite similar. It doesn't really matter too much which ones which ones you you work with, but it's really to get to know them well, to get to know their strengths and weaknesses, to start using them to become familiar with the technology and then to keep up as you know new variations of that are developed as new technology comes comes about um, i think that's that's really important for everybody you know and management of course in in particular and it's as important to know the limitations of these tools because you can also from uh, you know from a manager's point of view a business owner you can waste an enormous amount of money and resource and you can cripple your company basically if you overestimate what these systems can do. And I think uh, Facebook is a perfect example there uh, of what they've wasted, you know, all the effort that they've wasted in the sort of virtual world, Web3, um, you know, by overestimating what that technology is actually capable of. Um, or look at Amazon, you know, they after a good run with Alexa, they've pretty much shut down the Alexa division because it, the technology really wasn't good enough to live up to the, to the promise that, that, you know, or the, the ideas that they had with, with it. So I, th I think it's understanding the limitations and the current crop of AI, as I mentioned earlier, really isn't capable of getting to AGI. We need a different approach. We need uh, what DARPA calls the third wave of AI. And that's basically a cognitive approach where your starting point is what does intelligence require? And you need to build a machine that can learn interactively, that can learn in real time, learn incrementally, that can reason, that has metacognition. You know, the whole, there's a whole laundry list now. I've, I've written quite a lot about that. Um, it's that approach that, that is required. So I, I think it's, it's important for people to understand the strengths of these systems and to use them, but also just as important to understand the weaknesses and not fall into the trap of some salesperson, you know, selling you some, you know, oh, this can solve all your problems. You can, you know, Repl replace all, the, all all of your employees by by it, you know, and uh, overnight. Um, yeah, you should ask us. Well, really, and how exactly would that work, you know? And some technology, uh, you know, some of these things can be done, but uh, a lot of things can't be done. So, if you're advising a CEO about how to kind of ready their organization for the next decade. What would your checklist of be your kind of top priorities and getting them to think about things? Um, I'm not. I'm not sure that I have much to add, other than to say, uh, 
really become familiar with these tools. Use them. Use them yourself. Get your staff to use them. You know, and the same and even in education, your students need to use these tools. They're gonna if they if they're not familiar with them, um, as they enter the workforce, they're gonna have a big handicap. So it's really you know use them, and the more you use them, the more you also become aware of the strengths and and weaknesses. So I think that that is the important message, not necessarily that you need to rush out and implement it in your company, in your you know workflow or customer facing. There you need to be very careful and say, um, you know, is it actually going to work? Was it? What is it going to do? What is it going to cost? And what is the benefit going to be? And as tech, as new versions of the technology come about, and as as cognitive architectures start becoming available they will have better use cases. So you said something a, a few moments ago that I hadn't really thought about in terms of the the movie depiction of AI taking over humanity and you know wouldn't have an, an advantage to have that instinct or any of that tech that that sort of awareness built into it. Why would it want to replicate itself? So that makes sense to me. But you know, several episodes back we had Susie Allegre on and she was talking about freedom to think. And she um talked how she said how, you know, she doesn't let her daughter have a Alexa because it'll steal your dreams and sell them. And, um, you know, I kind of feel that too. You know, I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day about Disneyland and then, you know, I open Instagram and I'm just like getting hit with Disney ads. Like my phone is listening. And that's, that's what the primitive in comparison kind of te technological experience. So knowing that, that organizations want to leverage this technology to sell their product and their, and AI is going to, you know, ostensibly make that easier and easier what are the moral considerations to make sure that you know we can advertise to people but not sort of kind of take over their own independent thinking in how they want to live their lives or what they want to buy yes i have some very strong views on on this subject and my yeah. My own vision of, of AGI and of, you know, personal assistance is something we call a personal, personal assistant. And it really should be called personal, personal, personal assistant. And I'll explain. There are three different meanings of personal that I think are, are, are pertinent here. The first thing is you should have a personal assistant that you own. It's yours. It serves your agenda, not some mega corporation's agenda. So that's the first personal. The second personal, it's hyper-personalized to you. It's not, you're not a demographic, you're an individual with your, you know, your own history, your own dreams, your own goals and, and, and uh, priorities. And the third personal is the issue of privacy, that you decide what you share with whom. So, you know, your personal, personal assistant, basically, you uh, should learn that certain things you, you know, maybe you share everything with your spouse, or maybe not, um, you know, and that you share certain things with Amazon and other things you don't, and so on. So, uh, you know, and then, of course, people will pay for, the, pay for this personal assistant, so you are no longer the product. That to me is the vision and that's what we are trying to do. And I'm hoping that people, enough people will um, insist on that kind of personal assistant that they will say, hey, I'm, I'm happy to pay for it, but it'll be mine. It'll be my personal assistant. You know, it's not going to be like Alexa. Um, that's not going to tell you what uh, what Walmart is selling, you know, or ask Siri about the the latest uh, uh, Samsung phone or something, you know, it might not might not tell you. So, um, absolutely, I'm exactly on that 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 wavelength. I think we need to get away from this advertising driven, um, uh, well, more generally economy, but specifically as far as uh, personal assistants are concerned. Mm. So that's interesting because the reason why we're lured into all of this is because it's seemingly free. Yeah, we're uh, selling our souls. Yeah, so we're selling it for this extraordinary technology that can give you a weather report and tell you when your bins need to go yeah. out and so on. Um, so how do we break that economic cycle that we we, we get people to to do it? Because I, I, this sounds like a very clear 
strategy? Well, I, I, I think it's very. Uh, it, it obviously it takes the right comp- company to decide that they want to offer the product. Like you know, that's our decision. We, we will not sell a product that is funded by advertising. We will simply not do it. Not my company. You know, I refuse. And so it's a combination of having companies that offer this kind of product service and then the public responding to that and saying, yeah, this makes sense to it. And pretty much everybody I talk to about the personal personal assistant says, when can I have one? You know, I mean, if you're paying a hundred plus dollars for your, your, your phone right now, uh, most people are paying extra $20 to, you know, to have a personal assistant that's really useful and is yours. And it's not going to share information with, with anyone. Um, I, you know, I, th- I think a lot of people will go for that. And I think we can mm-hmm. we can turn the tide. Well, it sounds very um, exciting and promising and attractive. I guess it, I still come back to the the fears. I mean, Jeffrey Hinton obviously left Google to um, head off what he believes is a whole series of, of, of threats that AI poses uh, to campaign against it. Um, how do we ensure that the personal personal assistant which is more complex than we can possibly understand, perhaps even more complex than the people who invented it. How can we ensure that it is secure, that it won't at some point flip and reveal all our secrets to the world? John's worried about his secrets. Just so you know. <laughs> I've got right. so many. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, first of all, a lot of the the fears and a lot of the analysis on on AI are based on the current big data uh, approaches. And as I've mentioned, I do not believe that they will get us to AGI. In fact, there's general consensus by, um, you know, scientists, AI, artificial intelligence researchers, that that technology isn't going to get us there. So the current systems are, in fact, black boxes, and we don't know exactly, we can't pinpoint how they respond things. They are fed with a ton of garbage. Well, obviously, because what they were trained on uh, is hundreds of billions of words uh, just from the internet, from Twitter, from, you know, so... You know, garbage in, garbage out. Um, So they are opaque. You can't analyze. They don't have higher level reasoning. So they have a lot of undesirable characteristics, um, which kind of stokes the fears of people, you know, saying, well, oh, if we don't put guardrails, they're going to spew hatred and this, that, and the other. Yes, it's because of their lack of intelligence um, that... <clears throat> that they basically operate in, in in that way. Now, the the approach that uh, I'm advocating of cognitive architecture, it's not feeding it, uh, you know, all the garbage that's out there as a training set. It's for the system to really go through a curriculum more the way a, a, a human learns, you know, through curated information of, you know, what what information should you be getting and and to think about what you're learning, basically, to reason, does this make sense? You know, is it true? Where do we get this information from? Uh, so it's it's not an opaque system. It's it's a scrutable system, an auditable system, and that very very you know changes the picture significantly in terms of uh, the risk that you have, where the system can explain itself of why it's give, giving you a certain uh, certain answer. Um, so I'm I'm really not that concerned about uh, con- concerned about it, and yes, there's a lot of disinformation and that, but I call those sort of mundane risks, and I call them mundane because we already have misinformation, you know, spread by governments, <laughs> by our own mm-hmm. governments, by you know, uh, partisan. Uh, uh, people on on social media and whatever. I mean, all, all sorts of reasons. We need to just get better at recognizing it, and need to get better defenses for uh, you know for that. Basically, we need people to be better at thinking. Hmm. Hmm. That's super helpful because that's not a distinction that I'd understood up to this point um, between 
what you're talking about and the the, the hype wave that we're currently experiencing around chat gbt so that that's incredibly helpful where, where do you um see these kind of i'm not saying i'm thinking as rivals but these different technologies how are they playing out how's your the area that you're working on uh playing out compared to these uh these these kind of big model uh systems yes so as as i mentioned that um it's a bit of an accident of history that big data approaches have been so incredibly successful. And of course, you have the big companies that have masses amounts of data, that have masses amounts of computing power. So that's a hammer they've got, so everything looks like a nail. So the people they hire, what they, uh, the companies they invest in, and, and so on, it's all about big data statistical systems. So it's been actually very difficult for for us to get get traction with a different approach with you know as I say what DARPA calls the third wave basically really a thinking machine a cognitive uh, engine and um, so you know we've we've been chipping away at it commercializing this we have some some you know great clients for example one eight hundred flowers is using using our system for customer support so we are bootstrapping the company and we are um, you know. A, looking to aggressively expand our development. Our company has always had uh, been doing development as well as commercialization. So the development is to continue cranking up the IQ of our system while the commercialization is to deploy these in, you know, uh, robust commercial applications and, um, and to generate revenue that we can we can we can do more development, but there's a, a, a there's really a, a big shift now that ChatGPT has really shown the promise and wet the appetite of people saying, "Wow, AI, you know, maybe this time it's different." There there there, there are really mm. glimmers of real intelligence there in ChatGPT, and there is. I mean, it, it's absolutely amazing, you know, that you can say to the system, you know, write write me a, um, an, a, a stump speech for Trump in uh, in the style of Shakespeare, you know, or whatever, yeah. you know. I mean, and it'll do a good job of that. So we've we've seen the sort of glimmer of 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 intelligence in ChatGPT. So I think there's a lot of excitement and people saying, okay, how can we get that? How can we get that? So people are now realizing, um, uh, you know, that, um, yeah, I mean, OpenAI, the CEO of um, OpenAI, Sam Altman, said, um, we we've hit we've really hit a wall. We can't build bigger systems or not. We can't go much further in building bigger systems because a, we've used up all the data that there is just about, and secondly, um, it's not getting us a lot of additional benefit. So there's there are diminishing returns. So they are starting to realize those inherent limitations in this approach. But very few people actually have the background, the understanding of what is required to build intelligence because their starting point is that um, is a mathematical, statistical, that's their background. And what, what, you, what you really need is you need a starting point of intelligence. What does intelligence require? And not you know, we, we have all of this data, what can we do with it? We have all this computing power, what can we do with it? What problems can we solve? Again, going back to this narrow AI of where the engineers say, what clever things can we do? What can we come up with? You have to turn that around and say, what does intelligence require? And how do we build a system that inherently has intelligence? That's basically a cognitive architecture. So, you know, we obviously we obviously hoping that uh, you know we will get increasingly uh, in- increasing support for what we're doing, and that more people will start working on 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 that on real intelligence. Hi, this is Emma Sinclair, business psychologist, occasional co-host, and fan of the Evolving Leader podcast. There are now over a hundred episodes with an incredible list of guests encompassing a broad range of disciplines, all handpicked by us to help you, our audience, understand and overcome your greatest leadership challenges. We have so much more to come. So wherever you get your podcasts, please subscribe, share, rate and review. Now, let's get back to the conversation. Can you set some kind of 
time frame for us in terms of because we seem to be going through some sort of very rapid evolution around this but that might be a bit illusory given what you're saying what, what, what do you think the next five ten years holds for how what you're doing will play out when will it start to really change our mm. lives yeah i i always have to answer that question in terms of you know when will we get agi and i don't measure it so much in years as in dollars okay <laughs> you know from our perspective uh, that that's kind of where we are uh, because we would be a lot further if we'd had more dollars to you know if we had a bigger bigger team we are currently 30 people in the company um, we're not going to crack agi with 30 people you know we don't need 30,000 for it, but not uh, a bit more than 30. So I mean, that's talking from our own perspective. Uh, in, it's hard for me to see that we are, that it's going to be more than 10 years. You know, I mean, uh, there are so many people working on it. There's so much money thrown at it. Even if they, you know, stumbling, bumbling along and looking at the wrong solutions, which a lot of companies are, um, there are such a lot of smart people working on it that you know the, the right people will get the right funding uh, at at some point, and then I think they can make quite rapid progress. I don't believe there's a fundamental hardware limitation. I mean, we may need some specialized hardware, but uh, we don't need quantum computing uh, to to crack AGI. So there's not a, a, a serious hardware limitation as far as I can see. It's a, it's a software problem. And um, as I say, I would, I would be surprised un unless, of course, AGI or, or AI development is shut down seriously, which, of course, some, some people are uh, asking for. Um, then, of course, we could go back to the Dark Ages as well. I mean, you know, civilization certainly can shoot itself in the foot. What else should we be asking you in the time we have left, Peter? What haven't we covered? Um, well, obviously, my my day job is you know commercially utilizing this uh, conversational AI technology, and I think there are such huge opportunities there. We all hate customer service when we call in uh, to a computer, and you know whenever I tell people that's what we're doing, and they say, "Oh, yeah, I hate these things. I just always press zero to get to an operator." You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, there is better technology uh, available. In fact, uh, talking to a human isn't fun either in most cases. I mean, you know, it's not that we love that. You know, you wait for 20 minutes or half an hour to talk to somebody. Uh, you explain your story to them and they say, oh, I have to transfer you. And then you wait another 10 minutes, mm -hmm. tell your story again from the beginning if you don't get cut off in the meantime, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We can fix that right now uh, with, you know, there is better technology. It, it's just, it, it's really very sad on how unambitious or how blind a lot of companies are. You know, we talk to a lot of large companies. I mean, you can take any, any large institution, any government, any big company for that matter. And, you know, when you talk to them, you say, oh, we pride ourselves in customer service and that's the most important thing and that's why we have humans and so on. And then they do really, really stupid things. I mean, they, they don't, you know, walk the walk, walk the talk. Um, f you know, for example, you, you get into an automated system and the first thing they tell you, your business is really important to us, you know, please carefully listen to, you know, and, you know, that might be recorded. So, you, you like, you you know, before you even start, you you have to spend, like, a minute or so listening to garbage, you know. And the fact when you get transfer from an automated system or from one person to another, that they can't transfer the information from one person to another. That technology has existed for 40 years, you know, that, mm -hmm. that CEO. So... I get really riled up when when a CEO or, or you know customer experience um, VP of customer experience tells me how important customer service is to them, and they don't take care of these these really fundamental things. You know, um, mm -hmm. so there are really much much uh, better solutions uh, available. And well, obviously we believe ours is is, is the best, but that's for another day. <laughs> So what what um, uh, is standing in your way right now, apart from just money? 
um, to accelerate this? What else are you, you just you money to do? It's just money. Yeah, we. Um, you know, I spent um, twenty five years ago. I spent five years just studying intelligence, uh, all different aspects of intelligence. I spent the last twenty years uh, leading R and D teams to you know build various prototypes to build our commercial. Um, it's not really that we need to do R&D to solve the problem. It's really more development. Now, I'm not saying there aren't still technical problems to be overcome, you know, that will take some really uh, smart people to, to solve. But I don't see any, any fundament, you know, fu fundamental roadblocks for us getting to human-level intelligence. It's just we need, you know, instead of 30 people, we need a few hundred people working on this. Mm -hmm. So how, how can people uh, get in touch with you, Peter? Um, Igo.ai, A-I-G-O.ai, if you go to the website. We also have, we have links to quite a number of articles that I've written. You can also find my articles on medium.com, uh, just Peter Voss, medium.com. And I've written, you know, a, a, about AI risk, um, about free will, um, you know, rationality, and, and of course, quite a, quite a lot about the third wave of AI, cognitive architectures, and uh, the shortcomings of statistical systems. Great. Well, we'll make sure to put all that in the show notes. And uh, yeah, this has been really educational for us. So thank you for your time and for sharing your, all, all that you've learned and all that you're doing. Yeah, I think for me, it's, it's um, been a kind of counter note to some of the things I've been reading in the mainstream media about mm -hmm. AI, which has been really interesting and, um, uh, you know, sort of creates a bit of a disruption in my own head about this topic and making me want to look at it from a different perspective. So I'm really looking forward to reading some of your, your medium articles, um, to yeah. try and get that, um, kind of, uh, alternative perspective on things so i really appreciate that peter thank you so much for yeah for great. sharing your yeah, feel your, free, your free to reach out anybody wants to reach out on you know twitter or email peter at igo.ai very simple and yes thank you for excellent questions that was fun all right folks thanks for listening and until next time remember the world is evolving are you 